Behold, what manner of love is this, that we should be called the children of God. It's a beautiful promise, but they want more than that. No, we're actually little gods. You don't want to claim to be God. Jeremiah chapter 10 says, The gods who have not made the heavens and the earth shall perish from the heavens and the earth. God will have no gods before him. Yet they say we are, literal, literal, we are gods. And they take many scriptures out of context to arrive at this. In fact, in, you know what the definition of faith is? It's in Hebrews chapter 11. You know? It's, it talks about it being the you know, substance of things hoped for and so forth. And it says, by faith or trust, we understand that God made the worlds. So we say, yeah, by faith, I look around, I see the creative power of God. This can't be an accident. And we understand God made the world. But you know how they twist that in the word faith movement? We are little gods. And God made the world through faith. He activated his faith. He had enough belief that he was able to do what he did it. So instead of understanding how almost, I think everybody's pretty much understood it through the centuries, it's by faith, meaning trust, understanding, leaning on the Lord, that we understand that God created the world. Hebrews 11.3. But they say, oh no, it really means by faith he created the world. We understand that. That's not what it's saying. It's saying we, by faith, understand that he created the worlds. Not that we understand that by faith, his faith power, he created the world. But that's how they twist it. And they say, and since we're little gods, which we're not, since we're little gods, we can create our own reality by believing hard enough. We can and since God spoke and said, let there be light, and there was light, as little gods, we can have enough faith and we can speak reality into existence. And therefore, we can create our own reality. Therefore, we don't ever have to get the flu, RSV, or COVID, or anything. We just say, I am not getting that in Jesus' name. And if we get it, we deny reality. That's what they do. Because you, it's called positive confession. You can't have negative confessions. You can't say, I'm sick. Or I'm struggling financially because you'll speak your, into reality. So even if you're sick, they're taught to deny their sickness. Many word faith teachers don't recognize it. This is more like Christian science than Christianity. And Christian science isn't Christian and it's not science, okay? Because they don't even believe Jesus died for your sins. And they say that everything's an illusion and sickness isn't even real. That's why many of them won't even take medication. Same with a lot of people in the word faith movement. They'll eschew medication. And it becomes a very, very destructive doctrine. That's why we have to be aware of what the truth is so we don't get snared by it. And then also we can help people, millions of people that adhere to these doctrines. I had a lady visit the church and asked me to pray for her husband. And he was dying of cancer. He was, you know, stage four, ready to just go. And I went to Las Robles. I didn't just met her. And as I, she asked me to go and pray for him, I said I would. And then as I was going in there, she, I realized because of what she was saying, she was totally in the word faith movement. And there were scriptures everywhere, promises that he would be healed, that she took his promise that he'd be healed. And she warned me not to say anything negative, not to, sit, not to acknowledge that he's sick, not to acknowledge that he's going through anything like that, that he's got a terminal illness. And I went in there and I just prayed my heart out you know, according to God's will, you know. I just pray, God, if it be your will, because it's not always his will to, to heal. 
But they believe, they teach, it's always God's will to heal. You just have to have enough faith. You just have to believe enough. And if you don't get healed, it's because you're either in sin or you didn't have enough faith. It's typically what they teach. So as we look at the scripture, uh, there's various scriptures on prosperity too that we need to say praise the Lord for promises for prosperity, but we need to understand them in their biblical context because in their view of prosperity, God wants you to be the healthiest and the wealthiest people on the planet, uh, you know, and for a lot of them it's taking over the earth and the seven mountains as well. But there's beautiful promises that we dare not, so we don't get rid of the rainbow as Christians. We say, praise God, that's a beautiful promise. Shows God's love, amen. Shows God's beauty. We don't get rid of prosperity either. We say, okay, what's biblical prosperity? And it blows away their idea of prosperity. Theirs is just cheap and hollow and empty and temporal. Uh, their emphasis. Their emphasis is on the now, you know. Right now. Getting everything now, you know. Like uh, one of these guys wrote a book called Live Your Best Life Now. Anybody remember that guy? That was Joel Olstein, right? Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. How many times is that verse used out of context to where God, you know, if you're going to be in the Olympics, you're going to win a gold. Because look what Jeremiah said right here. Or guess what? If you're, you know, you're going to definitely get that job for sure because look what Pro Jeremiah 29, 11 says. Well, Jeremiah 29, 11 is written to people that are in Babylonian captivity for 70 years. And they're being disciplined and punished by the Lord because of their failure to obey God's law. And now they're being spanked. But if they respond to the Lord and respond to his discipline right, who eventually lead, take them out of Babylonian captivity and bless them back in the land, Holy Land in Israel. And it's in that context, he says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for prosperity and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. It's, a, it's even a more beautiful promise, I think. Because guess what? You guys are going back to the land. And you're going to have a relationship with God still. And God's going to restore you to your own land, Israel. Amen? Amen. And it does apply to us. Because no matter what form of captivity or slavery we are in, if we're crying out to God and we're repentant or we're right with God, amen, we do have prosperity planned. God doesn't plan disaster and hell for us, amen. He plans an eternal future and hope with us, amen. In New Jerusalem, with Jews and Gentiles joined together as believers as the bride of Christ, you can't trump that, amen. amen. So actually the promises and the prosperity that God promises blow away the shallowness that's often used uh, Joshua 1.8. I love this. This is as they're going to the promised land. And God says to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. There, God wants us to be prosperous and have success. Now it's a promise to the Jews as they're going to the promised land. He's going to bless them and make them prosperous and give them a land of milk and honey and so forth. But how does that relate to us? Well, we meditate on the Word of God day and night as Christians. We ought to be doing that. Amen? Amen. And how does He prosper us? Something even beyond the physical land of Israel. Which, by the way, when Christ comes back, we'll meet Him in the air and we'll go and reign with Him for a thousand years in Jerusalem. Amen? And then over a thousand years later, just over a thousand years later, New Jerusalem's coming down from heaven. Amen? 
So that's awesome. That's all. We're all we partake of the, the, the most amazing promises. I went through many scriptures last time we got together on how we're joint heirs with Christ, right? We have everything in Christ. It's beautiful. And when we see what we have, we don't long for the things of the world. That's saying, right? What can you give a man who already has everything? And we have everything in Christ. In Joshua 8, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. You shall be careful to do according to all that is written in it. I mean, don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers. It says, be doers of the word, not hearers only who delude themselves. For if anyone is a mere doer of the word and not, is a mere hearer of the word and not a doer, James says, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror, and after he's looked at himself and gone away, he forgets what kind of person he was. But he says, but the one who hears the word and does it and abides by it, that man will be blessed in what he does. So you want to meditate on God's word. Do you meditate on God's word? It's important. Man, I don't know, man. I was like in this little spiral, man, because I got pretty sick, you know, for a few days there. I think like four or five days, I was like pretty wiped out. I was trying to focus on the scripture trying to stay focused. And there was all this food after you come out of that. And there's all these football games and people coming by and all this stuff. And I was like, Lord, I got to stay focused on your word, man. Give me energy. Give me strength, you know, to stay focused on your word. And that's where the joy is, you guys. Remember, it's the one in, in Psalm chapter one who meditates on his word, right? What does he, what's he like? He's contrasted with the chaff that's blown away. The, the man who sits in the counsel of the ungodly, right? Walks in the way of the wicked. That guy's blown away. But the one who meditates on his word, right? He'll be like a what? Remember that? Be like a tree planted by the water. That's awesome. Jeremiah used the same imagery. Like the, 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 the leaves will not fade in time of drought. Why? Because while the other trees in the world are drying up, guess what? You'll stay green. Your leaves will be green because guess what? You're like the tree planted by the water. Amen. You're, you're still, your faith, your roots are sunk in Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you, stay in the word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. By the gospel message. Do you meditate on his word day and night? I want to encourage you in this new year to, to memorize scripture, to memorize the word of God. Don't say, I can't remember anything. Some of you are saying that I can't memorize anything. Yes, you can. How many got here without somebody reminding you how to get here? <laughs> well, you guys live kind of far away. So, where do you live? Uh, Glendale and Burbank. So it's a little harder. But, you, you know, it's good to see you guys, by the way. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But, yeah, so you, you get, but those that have been here over and over and over again, you know, you don't need a reminder, really, right? And why? Because you've been here over and over again. And when you start to go through scripture over and over again, maybe you just remember, remember a little bit. It's okay because you're meditating on his word day and night. Amen. I've hid your word in my heart so I will not sin against you, the psalmist says. How can a young man keep his way pure? But by keeping it according to the word of God. So, and, so you need to be in the word. You need to be staring at it, memorizing it, internalizing it, chewing on it like a cow. The word ruminate is related in the Hebrew to the word meditate. And cows have all these different stomachs, right? And they, they, they chew, and then the, it comes back up, and they chew, it comes back up. And they get big and strong. Cows, man, they give out milk and meat to the world, amen? I haven't eaten dinner yet, so I better be careful. 
but they give out good, you know, tri-tips. They give out good ribeyes, you know. What, are, what do you like, man, that's from the cow, you know? Yummy. And they give out milk. I still drink milk after all these years. I used to play tackle football all the time without pads. Never broke a bone. I really think it's because I just got milk out of the womb and never stopped drinking it. Now, I might, I'm getting old now, so I might get broken up now. But uh, they give out milk and meat. Guess what? We give out, when we meditate on God's Word, we chew it, the milk and the meat of the Word to the world. Amen? So I want to challenge you this new year to start trying to memorize Scripture. Just, if, just a verse you like. You could memorize Jeremiah 29, 11. Just keep in mind the context too, right? It's it, for I know the plans I have toward you, declares the Lord, right? For prosperity, right? Not for tragedy, right? To give you hope in the future. Such a beautiful verse. And I've looked at it in different translations, but this last year, I memorized the book of Jude, and I memorized James chapter 1. You know, that was part of my, my devotion before the Lord, was to memorize Jude, the book of Jude, and then and Jude's just one chapter, you know, it's not, so it's not that long. Although when I say it to Lisa in the car, she goes, that's a lot longer than I thought. <laughs> I think it's like, because, you know, we gotta, we're almost where we're going, you know, or whatever. But I, but, but I also memorize verses a lot, different verses, you know. And uh, so I'm, I'm saying that to challenge you. It's, it's, it's easy. I'm an incredibly busy guy, yet I'm able to do that. I do a lot of it when I'm sleeping. Well, I'm not sleeping, but I'm laying there, you know. Uh, pick your spots, you know. When you're driving, I memorized so much scripture when I was driving to work, when I used to drive a long way to work, you know. I'd memorize the Word of God. Because you're driving. You're in, you're in a bunch of traffic. Instead of getting freaked out, upset. No, man, I'm with you, Jesus. I'm talking to you in prayer. Talk to him in prayer. You know, true prosperity is, is knowing the Lord and getting to know him better, amen? And you know him through his love letter to you, amen? You read his love letter to you. And you talk to him and you respond to him. You say, Lord, praise you, you know? And I love to read the word sometimes and, and, and pray it as I'm reading it, you know? Certain commands, okay, Lord, do that in my life. And it really enriches my time. And then sometimes I'll be going through James or Jude because you, once you memorize huge, larger portions of Scripture, if you don't keep them memorized, they start to dissipate, start to go away a little bit. So you got to bring them back. But then I'd say, Lord, I don't want to just memorize it to memorize it. So then I'll say it slower sometimes. I'll say, and think about what I'm, re- what I'm, what I'm, because his word just, it's such, it creates true prosperity in our hearts. Amen. So can I encourage you? I want to challenge you. Just take one verse. If you've never memorized scripture, just take one verse. You know, you don't even have to wait till January 1st, whenever, but January 1st, great. And just say, I'm just going to memorize this verse and write it down. You know, don't even necessarily, if it's just one verse, don't even maybe type it out. Just write it down because writing it down your own, with your own pen, that'll help you internalize it. And then just say the first six, seven words, the first clause, eight, ten times until you got it. Oh, I can't do it. Well, 20 times, whatever it takes. And then once you got that, then tip the other clause, the next clause, add it to that one. Say that one, and then the next clause. Then put it together. I like to do it when I go hiking, when I go running, when I... When I go walking, I love to memorize scripture. A lot of different ways to, you know, it's harder for me to read. I can, you know, I read a little bit when I drive. I shouldn't do that, I know. But it's harder for me to, to read when I, I'm not the kind of guy where I'm hiking, I'm going to read my, a lot, but I'm going to memorize scripture. You know, I'm going to talk to the Lord. So I want to encourage you to develop your walk with Jesus and relate to him through prayer 
and through the word, and that makes you strong. John says, young man, you are strong and I've overcome the evil one because the word of God abides in you. So this way the word of God abides in you and the spiritual attacks you go through this year, you will have some. The spiritual trials you go through, you will have some. You'll have victory and your leaves will not dry up spiritually. Amen? Because you're meditating on his word day and night. I love what the Lord says. And you can go here if you want. Go to the book of Revelation. We hit, then take a left. You'll hit Jude when you're in Revelation. I mean, it's easy to find it this way because I'm asking you to go to 3 John. Incredibly small book, right? Philemon and 3 John and Jude are like the smallest books in the New Testament among them. And in 3 John, in verse 1, Paul said, or I'm sorry, John, the apostle, writes, he says, the elder of the beloved Gaius, he's, I love John, he's called the apostle of love, amen? And he's talking to Gaius, a friend of his, whom he says, I love in truth. So he's telling Gaius, I love you in the truth, you know, Gaius. And there's a lot of emphasis on love in John, a lot of emphasis on truth. Uh, and then in verse 2, he says, beloved, now he's addressing probably the entire congregation that meets at Gaius's home, we believe. We don't know for sure, but they had so many home churches then. They didn't have buildings. They weren't using them yet because the church was so new. Uh, they had the upper room they used, but it was probably someone's upper room in a home, but it was a big room. But here uh, he says, Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may what? Prosper and be in what? Good health, just as what? Your soul prospers. Now this is interesting uh, we, these are the kind of verses that are used in the word faith movement to say, hey, look, God wants you in good health. You know, he wants you to prosper. And what happens, we, we tend to steer away from these verses because they're abused, because they're used in an absolute sense, as though God wants everybody 100% healthy every moment and ignores a bunch of other verses, right? But we have to also, record, we, all, all Scripture has to fit into our theology, amen? Including this Scripture. And this is a beautiful passage. This is John and his heart felt, some say, some that are against the word faith movement will say, well, this is just a greeting. It's not to be taken literally. No, I, don't, I think that's another extreme. No, he does uh, desire that Gaius prospers and that he's in good health. But notice the context. Beloved, I pray that in all respects you may prosper and be in good health, just as your what? Just as your soul prospers. Mentions the word prosper again. And by the way, the word soul in Greek is suke there. And the suke often is speaking of the immaterial part of our being, the spiritual, our, our spirit. You know, uh, James says in James 1, to receive the engrafted word which is able to save your suke's, your souls. You know, uh, so in the word suke in this context, he's, it, it's definitely, I believe, speaking of the spiritual aspect of who he is, Suke doesn't have to always be speaking that way. But I do believe in this context it does because he's saying he prays for him to prosper and to have good health even as his soul prospers. So he's making a parallel with how his soul is doing, amen, the spiritual aspect of his being. And so, so the Lord does want us to be blessed, uh, but at the same time he also knows that we are going to at times have physical ailments, physical sicknesses. In fact, Paul said the inner man is being renewed day by day, right? But Paul said the outer man is what? Perishing or decaying day by day because we have suffered the effects of the fall whereby our bodies are decaying. And so we await a uh, resurrection of our bodies. 
And guess what? Uh, Gaius and the brothers and sisters there that, that James is, I'm sorry, John is writing to uh, will experience ultimately good health in the resurrection, amen? But it's great if you can have good health now too, amen? And I do pray. I pray that for people. I pray for the fellowship. I don't just pray for you sp- spiritually. I know this is a fellowship. We have younger and older people, but as some people are getting older and people are all ages, I pray for the f- spiritual health, but I also pray at times for the physical health of my brothers and sisters here. And I pray that we'd prosper and be blessed. But at the same time, I also know what the Word of God says, and I bring all scriptures into my theology. So if somebody is sick or having a hard time going through things, I realize that's part of the life we have here in this world and that we haven't yet received our resurrection bodies. And they says, For I was very glad when brethren came and testified to your truth. truth. That is, how you are walking in truth. I love that. Now, what do you think is prosperity in John's mind? That, that Gaius has a big mansion on a mountain? No. What's he, what's he talking about? John says, uh, you know, he was very glad, he says. Why? When he heard that you were walking in the truth. Amen? When this congregation, was, when he realized they're walking in the truth, John, that made him very glad. And then look at verse, the next verse, verse, verse 4. I have, I have no greater what? Joy than this that you have the biggest camel and the biggest home in town. Is that what he says? No. No. I have no greater joy than this, to hear of my children, what? Walking the truth. The church at Gaius' home. I have no greater joy than this, that they're walking in the truth. Amen? That's their prosperity. Amen? When my brothers and sisters, my children in the faith... Those I've led to Christ are walking the truth. That gives me great joy. If I hear that somebody got a really nice car, let's say there's a couple and they don't know Jesus, but they've been visiting the church for a while, and they got a Ferrari. I think, oh, that's cool. If I heard they got saved, praise the Lord, then I'm real excited. Why? Because it's all about perspective. We have an eternal perspective. You know? So it's interesting the word prosper there. You know what it means in the Greek, literally? Uh, it comes from two words, the word prosper there. Uh, you, EU, and uh, or we translate it hodos, H O D O S. These two words brought together, uh, literally, the words speak of to help and the word road. The word road means to help on the road. So when you read the word prosper there, he's talking about. Uh, literally, the word can mean, you know, being prosperous, no doubt, but the words, the etymology of the word is a compound word, which means to help along the road. And I, I think that's beautiful. And I think it's really beautiful. In fact, in the King James Version, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 10, Paul writes, making request, if by any means, how at length I might have a prosperous journey. That's from that same Greek word, prosperous journey. Okay, And it's translated prosperous journey there by the will of God to come unto you. And I think it's really interesting that that word speaks of, you know, uh, literally a journey on the road. And then he talks about wanting him to be prosperous. And he rejoices. Why? Because he's walking, right? He's walking in the truth. 
I try not to stray from the camera too much. If I go over here, it's like, where did he go? So, but if you're walking in the truth, you're on the road, you know? You're on the road, right? And he's rejoicing because he's having true prosperity, which is walking in the truth. That's biblical prosperity. I'm being on the straight and narrow road. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Amen? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Don't that means you've got a relationship with Jesus. That means you're walking in the truth. He's the way. He's not only just the road, but he's the truth. Amen? You're walking in Jesus, the life, you know? It's so beautiful. And it's imperative that we understand that that's what true prosperity is. You can't beat that. Amen? And are you walking in the truth? Are you on the narrow road? Are you staying focused on Jesus and, and loving his truth and well, praise the Lord, you're prospering. You could be really sick with the flu and you're watching by a live stream. You're like, you just barely got it on. You're like, ah, I'm going to listen anyway. I don't know if I have RSV, COVID, or the flu, but praise Jesus anyway. And I'm watching Joe share right now. Well, praise the Lord. Are you getting over something? You couldn't come, but you're here watching by, by way of live stream. Praise the Lord, you're in the truth. You could be really sick, but still really wonderfully prospering. Amen. Now, I will not get through my notes today because I got through page one. I've got like 24 pages, 23. I got it down to 23, but we're good. We're good. So it's interesting. And, but the prosperity teachings, they, they take verses like that and say, God wants you healthy and wealthy at all times, and, and that's his perfect will for you. And, and you're a little God, and you just need to believe it and speak it out, and it'll happen. And it's so far from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and of course, this is not a teaching you find in the early church, by the way. In the first centuries of early church history, you don't see the prosperity movement. You don't see these doctrines where God wants every, all the Christians rich. It's not even it's not taught. It's a newer doctrine. And of course it'd be popular today because the Bible warns of that these things would happen. In fact, in Jude, he warns about false teachers who will creep in the church, who already were creeping in the church, but talks about they, they turn God's grace into a license. And, but you know what else he says? They have gone the way of Cain, right? And they've rushed headlong into the doctrine of, or the way of Balaam. Remember Balaam? What was he about? Money. Remember Balak offered him money? And they perished in the way of Korah, he says. Or Paul in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort for the time will come when they won't heed sound doctrines, but after their own lust, they'll do what? But with, with itching ears, right? They'll look for teachers to tickle the ears and tell them what they want to hear. That's why, you know, books and CDs like The Secret, you know? In the beginning of that, The Secret, there's a, a guy rubbing a, a genie, or a, a, and a genie comes out and offers him whatever he wants. And of course, everybody just go. Gravitates to that. And they say in the video, you, we believe you can become gods. Well, the word faith movement is just teaching a Christian, so-called, it's not Christian all, version of that. Listen to what the Bible says about these false teachers in the end times. Second Peter chapter 2. In fact, you could go there. Second Peter, if you want, chapter 2, verse 1. The other one was Jude 1, 11, that I mentioned earlier. Second Peter 2, 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there were also or will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. Ooh. Bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of the truth will be what? Maligned. Maligned. 
Wow. Many. How many? Just a few will follow them? No, many. They'll be a big, they'll have a big following. Many will follow their sensuality. And because of them, the way of truth, by the way, Christianity is called the way. Jesus is the way. Amen. Throughout the book of Acts, Christianity is called the way. Peter also, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 22, he talks about those, how it's worse for them if they had not known, then it'd be better for them if they had not known the way of righteousness and then departed from it. So Christianity is called the way. So the way of truth, it says, will be maligned. And in their what? Verse 3, in their greed. It's about money for a lot of these guys. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their judgment from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Having all eyes full of adultery, they never cease from sin, enticing unstable souls, having a heart trained in greed. These guys work their crowds to enrich themselves. Accursed children, forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, having followed the way of Balaam. There he is again. Not just Jude, but here in Second Peter. Follow the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. You see that? This is all over the New Testament, warning about these false teachers who will be focused on money. We see the same thing in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 5. It speaks of men of constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In the NIV, is actually a good translation there. It says they, they, they you know, believe that godliness is a means of financial gain. That's Kenneth Copeland. That's Benny Hinn. That's Creflo Dollar. You know? That's Joyce Myers. That's you know, T.D. Jakes. That's you know, Bill Johnson. They're up north in Bethel. You know, that's Joel Olstein. They all teach variations of this health and wealth gospel, and they all cuddle together, you know, birds of a feather. And then he goes on to say in verse 9, But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge men into ruin and destruction. Verse 10, For the love of money is a root of all sorts of evil, and some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith. What? Some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. That's sad. It leads people away from Christ because they get focused on money. And Jesus said you can't serve both God and money. You'll either hate the one and love the other, you love the one and hate the other. You can't serve God and mammon. So we want to make sure that money is not before God and it's not even a close second. Amen. It shouldn't even be, it should still far away from your consciousness as far as what's important in life. Yeah, you need money, but the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And guess what? If you don't have money, you don't absolutely need it because God can use the birds to bring you food. Amen? Amen. He's done that before. But it's interesting when you look at the text here, it's the root of all sorts of evil. What's at the root of the sex trade? Money. What's, what's at the root of people killing each other in the drug cartels? Money right? It's, it's at the heart of so much that goes on, uh, so much of the wickedness that goes on, you know? Illegal guns, money, all kinds of things. People are all about money, and, and it's really heartbreaking to see what's going on in the world that we live in. Now, we have a good God, right? He is good. Psalm 100, verse 5 says, the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and His faithfulness to all generations. He's a good God, First Chronicles 16.34, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. 
Matthew 7, 11, Jesus says, If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Amen. These are beautiful verses. So God does love us. He wants to take care of us. Philippians 4, 19 says, you know, that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. All your what? Needs. Amen. And even Paul in, in the Timothy, when he's saying not to, these false teachers are about financial gain. That's what they're all about. He does say there that God gives us all things to enjoy. But he says, if you have wealth, he says in that same chapter, to use it to bless others. Amen. Amen. So he's a good God. He wants to bless us, you know, and, that, and that's awesome. But he wants, but he's a, he's a smart father. Amen. You know, if we bless our children with too many material things, they could lose sight of God. You know, I remember I was driving with Justice and we were uh, by in and out and we both thought it sounded good. You know, and Justice like, I wish God would just, could just rain hamburgers from heaven. You know, and I was like, yeah, you know. Uh, that'd be, I told him that'd be a little messy though, wouldn't it? You know, but he, he gives us plenty. Amen. And he's, he's good God. So we thank him for that. And he supplies our needs according to his riches and glory. But our needs, you know, our wants can be very, very harmful. In fact, uh, you have to look at scriptures and make sure they're in context. Because a lot of the verses we're looking at are taken out of context. And when you have a text and you ignore the context, you take the text out of the con, text, all you have left is a con, right? You just have a con, and that's what they do. They take a text out of its context, and they leave you with just a con. And that's what they do. A lot of people are being conned uh, with the, by the word faith prosperity movement. In fact, you know what? If God just blessed us all with a, you know, $5 million each right now, just dropped it in our lap, and did that for every professing Christian, it would destroy a lot of lives. How do I know that? Because Jesus said in Luke 18, 24, how difficult it is for the rich to inherit the kingdom of God. That's how I know that. That's why God can't uh, trust uh, material riches and prosperity to many, of, many professing Christians. In fact, listen to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 8 and 9. First, help me never to tell a lie, it says. Second, give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't that interesting? Don't give me poverty or riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you and say, who is the Lord? And if I'm too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So he says, Lord, give me just enough. Give me enough, you know, because if I have too much, I could forget you and say, who's the Lord? That happens to a lot of people, you guys. They start doing really, really well. And before you know it, you don't see them in church anymore. That's heartbreaking because we, and it doesn't just mean people that get a lot of money. It says, by seeking to be rich, Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 6, many have plunged themselves into destruction. So a lot of these word faith people, they're not even getting rich because the, the, the word faith preacher is saying, give to my ministry, you'll get a hundred times more. And they're, they're impoverished because they're giving everything to this ministry. It's not even a church. It's just a guy that's got, you know, more than one Learjet or whatever, you know. And they're, but they're wanting to be rich and, they, and things just, you know, fall apart. Really, really sad uh, situation. Now, it's not just riches. It's, it's well, it's health. 
God always, always, you're always going to be healthy, no matter what. If you just name it and claim it and speak positively, remember your little God and just believe it and you'll never get sick, you'll always be healthy. Well, Bill Johnson, one of the leaders, one of the so-called apostles of the Kingdom Dominion, Seven Mountain Mandate, name it and claim it, prosperity gospel group, right? Claiming to head up the, many of them claim, oh, it's the biggest revival going on. There's gold dust falling from the ceiling and all these weird miracles and stuff. Well, Bill Johnson says it's always God's will to heal and that you should always be healed, you know? And they teach, these word faith teachers, if you don't get healed, it's because you don't have enough faith or because you're in sin, as I mentioned. Bill Johnson says, how can God choose not to heal someone when he already purchased their healing? Were the stripes he bore only for certain illnesses or certain seasons of time? When he bore stripes in his body, he made a payment for our miracle. He already decided to heal. So if someone's not healed, according to Bill Johnson, it's because, you know, you don't have enough faith or you're in sin or what have you. There's serious problems with this, you know. Kenneth Copeland, one of the most, if not the most well-known word faith teacher, says uh, uh, his, his Kenneth Copeland Ministries article states how to get, uh, the name of it is how to get, Get and keep your healing. It says, quote, Your days of sickness and disease are over. No matter how long you've been struggling, no matter how serious your situation, healing belongs to you. Healing is your covenant right. If you want it, it's yours. It's not up for debate. The problem is most Christians haven't truly believed it. There's a problem. Have you ever seen Bill Johnson? You ever seen him? He wears glasses. His eyes don't work without glasses. There's something wrong with that. Kenneth Copeland, he wears or he has a pacemaker. Nothing wrong without a pacemaker for irregular heartbeat, you know. But if it contradicts your theology, there's a problem, right? Because he's making people feel condemned. Kenneth Copeland and Bill Johnson both saying God heals, he always heals. We believe God heals, we don't believe he always heals. But one has glasses and the other has a pacemaker, but they're making people feel condemned like they don't have enough faith or they must be in sin because they're not getting healed. And that has incredible repercussions. Incredible repercussions. In fact, uh, it's actually really, really sad when, when I think about it because uh, did you hear about Olive, a little girl named Olive? She was a two-year-old little girl. Jay, you heard about her? Over at Bethel at Bill Johnson's church. And, and she was one of the singers, a praise worship leaders. It was her daughter. And she died. It's real sad. And then the mom who was a singer in the church, you know, left on Instagram a post on uh, Kaylee wrote, and I feel bad for her, but this is what bad theology does. We're asking for prayer. We believe in Jesus who died and conclusively defe defeated every grave, holding the keys to the resurrection power. We need it for our little Olive Elaine, who stopped breathing yesterday and has been pronounced dead by doctors. We're asking for bold, unified prayers for the global church to stand with us in belief that he will raise this little girl back to life. And there was a prayer for healing and or resurrection, and days went by. Finally, they announced that they're going to have a memorial. But this is a belief that, well, God, Jesus defeated death. You know, how, he should raise her from the dead. How did she even get sick? Do we not have enough faith? And it's just... Really, really heartbreaking. In fact, I was reading another story, which I, this was a really, really sad story. Uh, 
Wesley Parker, an 11-year-old boy with diabetes, but his parents, for word of, uh, you know, word of knowledge, which they teach a lot in the Word of Faith when you get Word of Knowledge, uh, believed that he wouldn't be sick and were pretty much, you know, uh, he was supposed to be taking regular insulin shots, but the word faith movement, if you give shots, then you're acknowledging the person's sick. But you're supposed to deny that and not look at that as reality and believe they're already healed. And so they, I guess he stopped giving him shots, and Larry and Alice Parker intentionally withheld their son's insulin. And as a result, Wesley, you know, he went into a diabetic coma. Sad. That's a little 11-year-old, you know. Uh, and, you know, the parents believe that in the prosperity gospel. And to give him insulin would be like making a negative confession, acknowledging his sickness, which they weren't about to do. And sadly, the little boy died. And Larry and Alice Parker were arrested and jailed uh, and charged with, uh, convicted for manslaughter and child abuse. There's a Bible verse in Proverbs 14, 12 says that there's a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Brothers and sisters, we our souls have been redeemed, okay? Our bodies will one day be redeemed too, but not yet. We haven't been resurrected yet, amen? amen. We instantaneously receive forgiveness of sins, amen? But we don't instantaneously receive perfect health in a resurrected body. Paul says our inner man is being renewed day by day, but our outer man is decaying day by day. The Bible says we've been saved, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, right? But the Bible also says we're being saved, the Bible also says that we're being saved, 1 Corinthians 1.18. The Bible also says we will be saved, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15, Matthew 24, 13, many other scriptures. And the scriptures warn that we're awaiting the resurrection of our body. It says in Philippians 3.20 and 21 that we are citizens of heaven, and we await the resurrection of our bodies, whereby he will exert his power and make our bodies like his resurrected body. That's a glorious promise. We'll be changed. We'll be transformed. That blows away a temporal hope. Even if Olive was able to be resurrected, well, that would have been awesome, but it would have been temporal, right? Far better. I'm saying the prosperity we have in Jesus is far better than what the prosperity movement preaches. We have an eternal resurrection. We will have no more death. Amen? We have no more sickness. As far as riches go, we have what Jesus called in Luke 16, the true riches that the Father will entrust us with. Jesus says, don't lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust do corrupt and thieves break and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust can corrupt and thieves can't break in and steal. And that's a command. Are we doing that? Are we living for this world and like, what kind of treasures can I build here? What kind of empire can I build here? And not thinking about the Lord's kingdom and living for him and winning souls? Because guess what? Everything here is going to just disappear. It's all going to burn. Ronald Reagan shared his favorite story. I thought, that's interesting because that sounds very like Jesus, biblical. He's basically taking the layup, not a few treasures on earth, but in heaven deal. He talked about a man, Ronald Reagan. He said his favorite story is that he built up these things. He had these treasures, this, all this stuff on this island he'd built up through the years, but a huge hurricane was coming. And he was like, just going to be, oh, it's just all going to be destroyed. But he wised up and he moved everything to another island out of the way from the hurricane. And he got what he wanted because he just simply moved it. Well, guess what? A hurricane is coming to this planet. Amen. Amen. You want to move everything to heaven. Amen. Amen. And that means you live for Jesus. 
And that's true prosperity. Now, I've already covered the scriptures where God is good. He wants to bless us. Amen. He's given us all things to enjoy. And, and he loves us. And, and he will meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. Philippians 4.19. We put all the scriptures together. We say, praise the Lord. Thank you, God. You're good. You're going to take care of me. You love me. Amen. Amen. But you've given to me, but you want me to give to others now. Amen. Amen. And be a blessing to others. And by the way, when Kenneth Copeland's up there saying, you shouldn't be sick. You know, it's sin, or you don't have enough faith if you're sick. He's got a pacemaker. That, to me, that's hypocrisy, you know? That's hypocrisy. And, by the way, there's many scriptures that show in the New Testament men of God were sick, sometimes for doing the will of God. In 1 Timothy 5, 23, Paul says to Timothy, and when he says, he says that in the letters to Timothy that everybody's forsaken me, even demons and so forth. But Timothy's standing by him. He's faithful, but guess what he says to Timothy? No longer drink only water, but use a little or puny amount of wine for the sake of your frequent stomach ailments. Why did he just say believe, Timothy? Just believe, you know? Just say I'm healed. He didn't say that. Because that wasn't Paul's theology. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 24 through 26, Paul says of a, a man, a wonderful man of God, named Epaphras, and I trust the Lord that shortly I myself will come also, and I have thought it necessary to send you uh, Epaphroditus, my brother, and fellow worker, and fellow soldier, and your messenger, and minister to my need. This guy's amazing, Epaphroditus. For he, was, for he has been longing for you all, and had been distressed because you heard that he was ill. And he goes on to say he was sick because he was doing the will of God so much. That's a guy totally in God's will, amen? And Paul just multiplies the, the praises you know, about him. Paul himself, in 2 Corinthians 12.7, he says that he has a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan that beats up his flesh. People wonder what he was talking about. I can't be sure, and I'm glad we don't know exactly, because that way we could all identify with that. Amen? We've all had something, you know, uh, some kind of ailment, some kind of thorn in our flesh. And Paul, had, Paul said, God used that thorn in his flesh to get him to depend upon God's grace. When you are going through something that's harsh, you're like, man, why do I go through this? Or why am I in this set of circumstances? Or why am I dealing with this body ailment? Or whatever it is, Paul goes on to say that his grace is sufficient. That Jesus appeared to him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. He said, I prayed three times the Lord would take it away. And Jesus appeared to him. You know what he said? Jesus didn't say, Paul, all you had to do is name it, claim it. It would have been gone. <laughs> no, he didn't say that. Not even. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. And Paul said, he realized that God allowed this messenger from Satan to buffet him, to beat him up, so he wouldn't be lifted up in pride because he had so many revelations. He wrote half the New Testament. And they'd stay humble before God. God used it in his life. In fact, you know what's interesting? In Galatians chapter 4, this might have been part of his thorn. Verse 13, it says, But you know, Paul wrote to the church of Galatia, it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you. I love it. It was because of a bodily illness that I was able to preach the gospel to you. He's a, he's a glass half full kind of guy, Paul was, okay? And he said it's because of that bodily illness. You know what? When he's in the prison in, in, in Philippi, or the Roman prison, right in the Philippians, he's in bonds, he's in chains, yet he has the most joyful letter. Yet in chapter 1, he says that this has happened to me for the furtherance of the gospel. Definitely a glass half full kind of guy. 
Because he's saying, guess what? God's taking these circumstances and he's using it to his glory. Why? Because Paul's the one that said in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, these present sufferings that we go through here aren't worthy to be compared to the glory that we revealed. And in verse 28, he goes on to say a little bit later that God works all things together for the good for those who love and are called according to his purpose. Amen? So he's giving us a hope in the future. It all is headed toward the throne of Jesus. Amen? And if we're right with God and we're growing in him, man, we'll have all these incredible, beautiful rewards that God will bless us with. And Paul said, the first time, he says, you did not despise that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition. So he said, I had an illness in my bodily condition, nor expressed contempt, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Then he says, where then is the sense of blessing you had? For I testify about you that I, if possible, listen to this, if possible, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Isn't that interesting? Paul says, I testify that you would have, if you could do it, if you could transplant your eyes and give me your eyes so I could see with them, you would have done it. Why would Paul say that? Maybe because in Acts chapter 9, 8, on the road to Damascus, he was blinded when he saw Jesus. And he was healed. He could see. But he probably could see poorly. And I think that's the case because in chapter 6 in Galatians, just a little bit later in verse 11, he says, see with what large letters, not see what a large letter I wrote, but see with what large letters, plural, I have written to you with my own hand. And Paul had a, uh, um, a manuensis. An is like a secretary that wrote like, Corinthians wrote some of his letters for him. And then Paul said he would sign his letters with his own hand. But he's writing with big letters. Why would someone write with big letters and say to somebody that you were considered about my bodily illness and my bodily condition? And instead of treating me as repugnant, you treated me like an angel and were willing to even transplant your own eyes to give them to me if you could. I believe Paul had eye problems. I believe Timothy had stomach problems. I know he did. That's why he says, take a little. So in Scripture, even in the old, I give you a bunch of this. We could just spend our whole time on this. We could have, but we didn't need to. So I just gave you a few examples. But uh, God doesn't promise us perfect health here, amen, and perfect wealth here. He does promise to meet our needs according to his riches and glory. He does promise that we will have a future resurrection. All this blows away everything that the world has to offer, Amen. And there are so many scriptures that are just totally rested uh, from their context. It's like, and a lot of them say, no, we should all be doing miracles. You hear that all the time. Every Christian should be doing miracles like the apostles and like Jesus. Because Jesus, Jesus say we do greater works than him. He didn't mean greater in quality, by the way. He rose himself from the dead. You'll, you'll never rise yourself from the dead. But greater in quantity as far as we'll reach more and more people for him. Amen. They twist those scriptures. Again, a text taken out of context just leaves the con. It's a con. There's many scriptures like that. Like if you look at Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38, 36, really 35 through 38, that's where you know, Jesus talks about given, it shall be given to you, pressed down, shaken up, and flowing over. I used to say that when I was a young Christian. My, my friends, we'd be just, you know, I was 18, 19 when I got, I got saved at 18, 19, 20, I started hanging out with other believers. And I'd quote that scripture to them. God bless you, man. Bless you and to the max and overflowing. That was my way of, in those days, was kind of paraphrasing that, you know. And I never thought, 
may you get a big old home and always be. No, just more of Jesus, man. I knew what that meant. And they'll say, no, it says given, it'll be given unto you. Pressed down, shaken, flowing over. So, in fact, uh, one of the most popular word faith prosperity teachers is Joseph Prince. He takes that verse and says, people say that we're, not, we're trying to give to get. He goes, but the Bible does teach that because it says right there, he says, give and it shall be given to you. Press down, shake up, overflowing. So if you give, he'll give you more. And they teach it often like you give 10 bucks, you get 100 bucks. You give 1,000, you get 10,000 back or whatever. You know, give 100, you get 10,000 back. It's 100 fold, you know. And they'll take that. But if you look at that scripture where it says give and it shall be given unto you, press down, shake up, overflowing. You know what it says right before that? Love your enemies like your father loves his enemies. Be merciful to them and forgive them. Be mercy and you will obtain mercy. Give and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shake it over and overflowing. He's talking about giving what? Forgiveness, mercy, love. That's the context. Let's go read that later. Don't have time to turn to it. Luke chapter 7. Many verses like that get just totally twisted out of their context. And so it's important to understand. Well, why did Jesus do all the miracles? I mean, doesn't he want everybody healed? You know when Jesus healed the paralytic and they said, who is this man? Who? And then he tells the man, your sins are forgiven you. This is in Mark 2. Okay, it's also in the Gospel of Luke, I think chapter 6. You know why he did that? Why he healed so over and over again? We're told to confirm who he was. In fact, Jesus says, if you don't, don't, if you don't believe me, he says, uh, but if you... you uh, but if I do the, his work, I mean the Father's work, believe in the evidence of the miraculous works I have done. That's John 10, 37 and 38. In Mark 5, or Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 12, when he heals the paralytic and he gets up and he tells him, your sins are forgiven you. The Jewish leaders, the Pharisees and the scribes were like, who does he think he is to forgive sins? Only God can forgive sins. Jesus said, bingo. Exactly, basically. And he says, to show you that the Son of Man has the power to heal, the authority to heal. To show us what? That he had the power to forgive sins, he said. He says, which is easier, harder to do? Heal a guy that's paralyzed or say your sins are forgiven you? He goes, to prove to you that I am who I claim to be. I've healed this man. So the miracles were to prove that Jesus is Jesus, amen? And, and well, well, the apostles did miracles too, yeah. And Paul said, do I not have the signs of an apostle by doing miracles? Well, if, everybody, if all Christians were doing miracles, Paul wouldn't really stand out as an apostle because so would Frank and, and Tom and Joanne and Emily. They'd all be doing miracles. So Paul, they'd all be, who could say they're an apostle? But Paul said he had the signs of an apostle. So I'm just giving you, I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at you. Did I go too fast today? Or no. Good, I've been trying to slow down a little bit. Getting younger and younger people in the fellowship. So. And I'm getting older and older people in the fellowship. So I'm trying to slow down more. I'm one of them. But uh, you guys, we're going to have true prosperity in Jesus. So what are some of the things we talked about by way of application? What are we, we going to try to do this year? Memorize scripture, amen. Take some of your favorite scriptures. Just start memorizing them, amen. And spending time with Jesus. For true prosperity is knowing the Lord, amen, and growing in that relationship with Jesus, amen, and growing and getting to know him better. So let's spend this next year coming to know the Lord in a better and better way, amen. And then guess what? Part two of this message is Sunday Steve's preaching it. It'll be totally different than this one, so hopefully they'll just compliment each other. And uh, glad you're, you're healthy, Steve. Praise the Lord for your health and praying for your health. That doesn't mean I believe you'll always be healthy, but that means I love you and I'd love to see you healthy. 
But praise the Lord, you know, God got us out of a lot of sicknesses and we'll have more sicknesses. He confessed it. Now he's going to get sick for sure again. Yeah, I will. And I'll probably die if Jesus doesn't come back, you know, but he'll come back eventually and I'll be risen from the dead. And if he comes back before the resurrection, I'm sorry, if he, if I die before the resurrection, the absent bodies be present for the Lord. We prosper all the way around as believers. Amen. True biblical prosperity is spiritual. And guess what? Mansions, I don't have time to talk about that, but you, how do you beat heaven? Eye has not seen and ear has not heard what the Lord has prepared for those who love him. Amen? I don't care what you live in, what you drive. I'm going to be riding a horse that flies. Okay? So what we have, it just blows away anything you can dream up. Amen? In this world, we just blow away everything with true biblical prosperity. Be patient, though. He's going to bring us prosperity, not tragedy. I give you a hope and a future. Not all right now, but praise the Lord for what we have now. And by the way, we've already all received the greatest gift we could ever receive. That's receiving Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. Can we all please stand? Father God, we thank you for Jesus. and We pray if there's anybody here who is not saved, who doesn't know Christ, anybody maybe watching that's part and caught up in the word faith movement, the prosperity gospel, that you've just had to tune in. And I just pray that you speak to their hearts and let them know you love them and that you're, you're, you're using this perhaps to uh, convict their heart and show them your love for them and draw them away from that false gospel to just embrace Jesus and his word in purity and truth. And for those who don't know Jesus and haven't been saved, I pray that you'd help them to put your tr their trust in you now. Their trust in what your son did who died for our sins. He rose again and conquered the grave. And through faith in him, we receive the gift of eternal life. We thank you so much for that. We love you, Father, so much. And, and we do thank you indeed for Jesus Christ, the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive and that we've been able to receive him. And we put our trust in Jesus. And we thank you now and forevermore. And we thank you that you said we get not only um, eternal life in the future, but brothers and sisters and 100 homes now, not 100 new homes as real estate magnets like Donald Trump, Lord, but all kinds of brothers and sisters that know you and we've been welcoming into each other's homes with hospitality and been given a family because we believe and belong even now to the family of God. We give you thanks, Father, for your great goodness. And we give you a clap offering, give you thanks for your love for us in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. Let's give praise.